Today we're going to be having some prayers and remarks in response to July 4th. Uh, so you, if you were with us last week, uh, you'll know that we began a new series of discussions uh, in our church that is, is ongoing. And last week was uh, kicked it off with um, our time together on Sunday and then with our midweek podcast. Uh, and we're looking forward to this continuing. We're calling it uh, God of the Oppressed, which is a phrase that we've borrowed from uh, the late James Cone, who was uh, the foremost writer on Black liberation theology in America. Uh, we are, in this series, we're going to immerse ourselves in different marginalized perspectives on Jesus, on faith, on God, one at a time. We're going to kind of take a few different, uh, we're going to kind of wade in uh, so we, we, can, we can spend some time with each of these different marginalized perspectives. Really, um, our take is that we can't really come to a proper theology or understanding of Jesus, the God that we're centered on here, if we're not doing that from marginalized perspectives, because Jesus was a marginalized person. But in America, maybe you realize this, maybe this kind of connects to what you were taught in history classes in America, it has nothing to do with faith, but has everything to do with the lens and the worldview that you developed. Uh, if you've spent any time in America, we mostly, what colors our views of God, of history, of what the story is, what the story of our country is, or what the story of the Bible is telling is, what mostly colors that is powerful perspectives, white European American perspectives, uh, dominant culture perspectives. And, uh, and that, is, that presents a challenge to really understanding who Jesus was, what Jesus was really about, because Jesus was not a powerful person. Jesus is God coming to humanity as among a marginalized group within a larger empire. And so uh, we hope that this series helps to centralize marginalized perspectives on God and on faith for us, that we can kind of more closely follow Jesus as a result. Today, we won't be adding any new content to this series, but we are in the spirit of this series uh, still. So we'll get to uh, adding some more uh, perspectives and, and discussion um, next week. But in response to July 4th, we wanted to create some space today for some extended prayer and worship. So July 4th is, of course, meant to be a celebration of freedom. Uh, but um, we've uh, been quoting this week uh, the words of uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, civil rights activist. She said, nobody's free until everybody's free. And I'm thinking about that a lot today. And I think many of us in our country are thinking about this this, this weekend, that July 4th does not feel like something we can just kind of dive right in and celebrate because nobody's free until everybody's free. You know, for me personally, uh, I came of age um, during the Bush presidency, the George W. Bush presidency. And um, it's interesting, I, I felt increasingly uncomfortable with the America first worldview that I uh, learned about uh, as I came of age, the, the capitalism without any boundaries or, or checks drawn on it uh, that was uh, popular in that time in, in politics and in, in, in the American ethos. I became increasingly uncomfortable with that. And so honestly, for me, I've had negative associations with uh, July 4th my entire adult life. I've actually never really felt very proud to be an American, so to speak. Uh, that's always been kind of a backdrop uh, in my story. And, uh, and especially uh, as I became a person of faith and, and was leaning more and more into the life of Jesus, it never felt like these two things of this like America first uh, mentality and then capitalism just run rampant and like the market will save us all, everything will be okay. Um, neither of those things really felt connected with the Jesus I was learning about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, my, my 
my negative associations or my mixed feelings around July 4th continued as I got older, and they only ramped up in 2016 after the election of Donald Trump. And yet my feelings of not having my values represented don't hold a candle to the feelings of hurt and betrayal and trauma that my brothers and sisters who are not white men have experienced. Uh, I mean, how much more for them, for many of you, does July 4th carry negative associations? A few weeks ago, we, uh, we marked as a community and many in our country uh, marked Juneteenth, which has this inseparable relationship with July 4. Yes, July 4th is the official freedom holiday in America, but Juneteenth reminds us that for so many Americans, for black Americans, freedom is always delayed. And that is the story of other people groups outside the white status quo as well. This relationship between the 4th of July and Juneteenth, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's sort of an analogy for why we have begun this series of discussions in our church. 4th of July represents the Euro-American, white dominant culture perspective on God, right? It is the official uh, celebration of, of freedom. It's the normative way that we might understand our history or our God. But Juneteenth represents the marginalized theologies on God and on faith that have not been given representation, but which far more accurately than the thoughts of the powerful represent the God that Jesus shows us. Because again, Jesus was a marginalized person. So we want you to stay tuned um, and we want you to invite friends to join us as we kind of consider the God of the oppressed and we work through these discussions and uh, a big dream of ours as a church is to shift the narrative about God and the Bible in this country that uh, Jesus, the, the, the God that Jesus shows us is the greatest ally and support we could hope for in this fight that we are in right now for equity and justice. And we want to show that to the world. All right. So in the spirit of all of this, um, the way that we're going to have some uh, prayers and responses, we've, uh, we've have a few people who, are, who have uh, prepared some remarks for us or a few people who've prepared uh, prayers for us and, uh, and uh, prayers for the change of our country, for the movement forward of our country toward equity and justice, for Jesus to overcome the forces that delay freedom for many and for our hearts, for also prayers for our community that we may be softened and, uh, and join in this important work and stay committed to this important work. So uh, I'll introduce uh, each uh, person who's bringing a prayer or a mark by name and, uh, and we'll uh, at the end appreciate everyone for their contributions together, okay? All right, first up, uh, we've asked Elizabeth Bertrand if she'll share today. Elizabeth. Sure, um, I'd love to open us up in prayer this morning. So if you would please join me. Dear God, we humbly come before you and cry out for our nation. We are in desperate need of peace, unity and equality, specifically for those that have been marginalized. We'll lift up to you our black and brown brothers and sisters who are still fighting for justice, who are still hoping to feel that this home is their land. We lift up to you our immigrant brothers and sisters who have been pushed out of their home and brought here in hopes of feeling freedom. We lift up to you, dear God, our LGBTQA community 
um, brothers and sisters who want to be seen and recognized. May we be a model of equality and love in these troubling times. Please heal this land that, that I have called home for so long. As Psalm 33, 12 says, save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them and carry them forever. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. Amen. Let's just take a moment to be quiet together. Thank you, Elizabeth, for your prayer. Next, uh, some remarks from our co-pastor, Kyle. Kyle. Good morning. You know, as we walked into July 4th this year, I think that there was a increased level of discomfort for many. I think that this last month has created an insight into an existing reality that I don't think all Americans were fully opening their eyes to. And so as we walked into this day marking the celebration of freedom in America, I can speak personally, it felt like a highlight of hypocrisy to step back and recognize what we have seen in the last month and then to celebrate the great freedom of our country. You know, I, I keep going back to the words that I heard Terrence Hawkins say in the CCDA conversation that we stepped in on of talking about the story of America is a freedom and a dream built on someone else's nightmare, a story of peace rooted in the violence on other bodies. And I think for me, the complexity of all this feels heavy. And it feels heavy because uh, this was a holiday that I found myself able to step into with celebration for much of my life. I think that is deeply speaking from the position of a white male growing up as I did, where I saw the freedoms I was afforded. I saw the advantages I was afforded, and it felt easy to celebrate those. And I think in the growing years of maturity and progress and a greater sense of awareness of the world around me that extends beyond my experience, I've seen the imperfect and not complete worldview of my own country in celebration. And so as we step in here as a faith community, trying to wrestle with what does it mean to celebrate something like this? How, what does it mean to say that a holiday has been put in place here that does not feel close to, a period, uh, close to an experience of holistic celebration for us all? Uh, I feel the, the, the need to step back and the need to look to Jesus for help in this. You know, how do I not walk into cynicism? There's such an easy place for me to now become cynical about this all. But how do I keep my heart soft and compassionate? You know, I think about the, the reason that I felt so connected to this holiday. And the truth is, I think for most of us, why we feel connected to any holidays growing up, it is very rarely due to whatever that holiday is meant to celebrate. And it is usually about the sense of connection we have with the loved ones we celebrate with. 
And so to me, the, the sense of loss and complication and discomfort was accentuated by living in COVID and the fact that myself and I'm sure many of us did not get to walk into an experience of this long holiday weekend being connected to other people. But I think that that sense of loss to me helped write maybe some of my perspective, which is that the piece of life that is richest is the relationships we have. It is our shared fellow humanity, is the commitment we have to each other. The things that we celebrate should be each other. And so the way that I have begun to think about yesterday, the way I've begun to think about what is true about a holiday founded in freedom in light of a world that seems very far from holistically free, is much like I think of many of the Psalms. There's this uh, way that Psalms are written, several of them, that are kind of meant to be an aspirational truth. It is saying something is true that is clearly not true, but it's praying it in a way because we believe it aligns with God's heart and character. And it's a sense of like, I'm praying this into truth by saying it is. This is things like, uh, you know, Psalm 140, where David says, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. In one way, that feels very not true in our current reality. However, I believe it to be true of the character of God. And so I believe it as true as an aspirational prayer. Or Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. We look at the last month and we see that that hasn't been true but I believe it to be of God's heart and where he is true. Or in Psalm 99, the king is mighty. He loves justice. You, God, have established equity. And where this feels helpful to me as somebody who grew up a church-going person and sang many, many songs, often written out of the Psalms, and some not, about God and who he is, there was many times I found myself in a place of uh, paralyzation after singing a song and asking my que question, do I believe that's actually true? When I have just sang the words, Lord, your love and your love and mercy reign forever. And I look around the world beside me and that feels untrue. I found myself unable to engage in those words any longer. However, when I came to the understanding of what the aspirational prayer is, the aspirational song, where we sing things as if they are already true, believing that that is where God's ultimate ethic and desire is fighting for, I found myself able to engage in a different way. And so yesterday, as we thought of July 4th, I was able to hold some tensions that have felt previously difficult for myself. I was able to hold the tension of lament of what is not true already, but able to recognize that in us there is a desire to celebrate freedom, a desire and a value and an ethos to say freedom is something worth celebrating. And so I think the best way to hold any sense of celebration for me in the fourth was to think of it aspirationally, of the day that Jesus's ultimate ethic and ultimate ethos of desiring true and legitimate equitable freedom for all of us could be something that once is true in our country. And so as we leave this space here today, I think that it's important as we always talk about that grief and celebration often walk side by side. And as I walk through the grief of what is not and the hypocrisy of celebrating what is not complete, 
I also hold to the Jesus of all things, the God of everything, and say, I pray that the celebration of the fourth will be aspirationally true, that there will be a day where freedom is an honest celebration of all people. Thank you, Kyle. Next, uh, we have a prayer from Carol Montgomery. This is the prayer of a white person, a prayer of lament and penitence. I come humbly into your presence, you who are absolute power, absolute beauty, absolute love. You who are utterly beyond us, yet most intimately with us. In the sweeping away of my ignorant complacency, I come to you in a great lament. I am trusting you to lead me into permanent change because I can't do it by myself. I am trusting you to lead all who are like me into permanent change because we can't do it by ourselves. Have mercy on us who are white in this country. Have mercy on us in our blindness and sin. I am sick in my soul to see what my sins of complacency have brought about in the lives of my brothers and sisters of color. Lord, lead me and all who are like me into the depths of repentance and into the depths of change. Show us our, our conscious and unconscious biases by the power of your mighty Holy Spirit. Show us what we should do to work with you to bring about your full shalom for all who have suffered from systemic racism. Do not let us sink back into the lethargy of self-satisfaction. Help us to remember that no one is free until everyone is free. We acknowledge our fears, our weaknesses, and our sins. Help us, O oh God, and thank you for your promise to faithfully help us when we cry out to you. Amen. May it be so. Amen. Again, let's just take a moment to be quiet together. God, I pray that you would collect the feelings that are, <clears throat> that if we can get behind the waterfall of all of our thoughts and emotions um, that come as we set aside space, as we try to consider things so much bigger than us, as we try to consider our regrets, 
as we try to consider what needs to change in us. I pray that you would help us to get behind the waterfall to see those things and to see them with kindness toward ourselves, compassion toward ourselves, and trust that you are looking at those things the same way, that you are trustworthy to grow us. You are trustworthy. You're a, you're a safe space to put feelings of regret, of feeling that so much needs to change. We thank you for these words that, um, these words of prayer that uh, people in our own community have, uh, have given uh, voice to for us. We pray that you would continue to use us uh, to help each other find um, expressions, to help each other find, um, a, again, that space to collect all that we are feeling and thinking. Uh, as our next prayer, um, I am going to um, share a song written by um, uh, our, uh, one of our worship leaders here at the church, Haley Larson, uh, who is often uh, praying for us and uh, singing over us when we're meeting together in person. Um, and so I'm, um, she penned a song early on in um, COVID-19, uh, just as, um, as some of the worst, um, it was dawning on us just how much COVID-19 um, is affecting those who do not, who are already uh, marginalized in our country. And, uh, and she wrote uh, these words from, uh, from the book of Habakkuk, a prophet in the Old Testament, um, or Habakkuk, I guess is a, you can pronounce it one way. Um, but I'm going to pass on her words now uh, that are in, in a song. Bye. Stay. 
And Haley, I'll ask, would you pray for us, please? So in, um, in thinking and praying and reflecting this weekend, I've kind of noticed a shift within myself from personal frustration or questioning around celebrating the fourth in past years into being kind of a collective part of objection and confusion and anger and frustration. Um, growing up in New England, my family would go to one of the oldest 4th of July parades in the country. Um, started in 1785 in Bristol, Rhode Island. And I've been thinking about what is revealed in the deep rituals of celebration. That on the surface, it looks like yearly Old Navy t-shirts and faces painted with American flags and layering on bug spray before fireworks. But at its core, um, celebrating the fourth really is about accepting and elevating and celebrating incomplete freedom. This year I'm reflecting on how my own view of freedom has been influenced by power and the idea of victory, how equality gets co-opted when it's viewed through the lens of privilege, how we ritualize um, when we ritualize incomplete freedom, we normalize injustice. And so instead of looking to national identity for a picture of freedom, I think it's even more important that we look to Jesus. For Jesus, freedom is not a result of conquest. Freedom comes in the surrender of our need for power. Freedom aligns with the oppressed and freedom lives into hope. We see this in a passage of scripture in Luke 4, um, which acts kind of as a proclamation of the mission of Jesus. Records the words of Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those who are imprisoned and recover, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's fever. And on this day, on July 5th in 1852, um, Frederick Douglass delivered a speech to a crowd of abolitionists called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. I've seen a lot of quotes floating around from it this weekend. Um, there's even a video being passed around of Douglass's descendants reading his speech. And one of the articles I've also seen that reflects on Douglass's words is from Dominique Gilliard, who was in the CCDA video. Um, from the other week. And in his writing, Dominique reflects on what he feels like is the central call for those who follow Jesus, and that is to recast a vision of freedom instead of being a stumbling block in the fight for freedom. And I found that a really helpful framing to be thinking through, am I casting a vision of freedom? Am I living into the freedom Jesus proclaims? Or are my actions a stumbling block for the freedom of others? So as we pray together, um, I am reflecting on his words. I'm reflecting on the speech from Frederick Douglass. So the opening line of this prayer is from Dominique. And then the remainder of it is an excerpt from the speech that was delivered on the 5th of July. So would you join me in praying these words? God of the oppressed, may the freedom we proclaim move us toward the restoration of all things, the cultivation of space for shalom and racial justice. 
And as Frederick Douglass reminds us, it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. God, we need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be exposed and its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. Jesus, be our source for true peace, true justice, and true hope. Amen.